It's Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Florence Henderson episode of The Muppet Show featuring our own very special guest star, Amy Spaulding. Hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Muppeturgy. I'm David Levy, and today here with me are... Michal Richardson. Adam Grossworth. Christy Bauer. And our very special guest star, Amy Spaulding. Amy Spaulding is the author of several novels, including the best-selling We Used to Be Friends and The Summer of Jordi Perez and The Best Burger in Los Angeles, which was named a Best Book of 2018 by NPR, The Boston Globe, Kirkus, and more. She's also the co-host, alongside our very own Christy Bauer, of Caroline in the Podcast, a Caroline in the City podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Amy, it's so good to have you here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship to the Muppets, if you have one, and or your relationship to TV Rewatch podcasts. Oh, well, I don't have much of a relationship with the Muppets, I, feel, I mean, especially compared to the four of you, I think. But I just have sort of a vague memory of them existing always, and it was, I guess, comforting. I liked Sesame Street a lot as a child. I remember I liked Muppet Babies a lot. And a few years ago, someone said, it's very obvious you're just like Ralph. And I've thought about that constantly ever since, because I've <laughs> never thought that about myself before. I'm going to think about that now and, and I, come back to it. <laughs> yeah, same. It leaves you with a lot. Like, it's haunted me. And it was said by someone who is my friend and is always nice. So it's not, it's not the sort of thing where I felt like it was a hidden insult. And then TV Rewatch podcast, you know, I like some of them. I, it's really funny because I decided that one hard thing about TV rewatch podcasts for me is, you know, a TV episode is pretty short, especially half hour shows. And then the podcast would be so long. I'm like, what are these people even filling this time with? And then I started my own with Christy. And it turns out it just takes a really long time to talk about a 22 minute episode. We do have a couple of corrections and additions this week. And, uh, and along with them, some thanks first to listener Anthony Frederick Strand, who let us know that The Muppet Show aired on ITV in the UK, not, as I said, the BBC. I'll be honest, I didn't even look that up. I just knew that the UK spot existed because of commercials in the US. And I know that the BBC is commercial free and ITV is not. And I made an incorrect assumption. They just have fewer commercials on ITV than we do in uh, syndication in the US. So you still get to feel smug, Britain, just uh, less so. Um, and also, uh, thank you to Ryan Rowe. Um, I believe these were both on Facebook, these comments. And both these are Tough Pigs writers and friends of the show who will be future guests on this show. Excellent. Um, these comments did both come in on our Facebook page that there were not actually two Sweetums puppets. As David mentioned in the, the Ruth Buzzy episode, um, Sweetums arm could be pinned or not pinned as, as needed. So it's the same puppet, but, um, you know, but, but yes, the arm did change in the middle of that, uh, Ruth Buzzy four seasons number. And on Twitter, a uh, friend of the show, Elon Muscat pointed out that Simon Smith and his dancing bear going way back to the beginning of the series is real dark. Uh, we didn't really talk about the lyrics at all, but I just would point you to that thread. You can find it on our Twitter, that conversation. It's super duper dark and, uh, we didn't really talk about it, but if you start to think about the implications of what's going on in those lyrics, it's, um, a lot going on between Scooter and Fozzie in that number which is also a plug to say, check out our social media. And we love these kinds of corrections. You may have figured out by now that we are nerds and pedants. And so please continue to correct us as needed and check out our social media. It's Muppeturgy in all the places and our website, Muppeturgy.com, where you can find uh, some, some deeper dives than we can sometimes get into on the podcast with links and YouTube and GIFs and all kinds of fun stuff. Today, we are talking about the Florence Henderson episode of The Muppet Show. This was the seventh episode made and the ninth aired in New York, so not too far apart. It was made in June of 1976 and aired in New York on November 15th, 1976. David. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Please tell us about Florence Henderson. Well, Florence Henderson, best known and best remembered as Carol Brady, the mother on the Brady Bunch. And it turns out that this episode aired in New York, at least, two weeks before the first of many Brady Bunch sequels slash spinoff series aired, The Brady Bunch Hour, which is also sometimes known as The Brady Bunch Variety Hour, which started on November 28th, 1976. So uh, it seemed like there was some natural synergy going on here, an opportunity to plug, you like me on this variety show? Well, I've got my own variety show. Friends, The Brady Bunch Variety Hour 
is indescribable. Uh, (laughs) It it only aired for one season. It was only on once a month. And so there aren't very many episodes. Uh, They were all put out on DVD. All of those are now on YouTube. Just we'll we'll have a link to the first one, but I've watched a couple of them this week. And oh boy, it's just uh, here's all you need to know. The Brady Bunch Variety Hour had the Brady's moving to a beach house, but also performing a variety show as the Brady's, which featured a swimming pool on stage and water dancers. And uh, it's just, and and that, and, and also a substitute Jan, the whole thing is bonkers. Anyway, this is not super relevant, but it is super interesting. And uh, (laughs) wait, question, question about the the Brady Bunch variety hour Uh, on a scale of zero spandexes to all the spandexes. How many spandexes are involved? All of the spandex. All of the spandex. <laughs> Excellent. Send us a link. It's a little relevant just in the world of 70s variety shows, because as much as I love the Muppet shows and like was I was alive in 1976, but I mostly watched this later, I don't have a lot of context for the world around the Muppet show, you know, at least the at least as these first couple seasons as they aired. And I was really fascinated to see another variety show with actually, I suspect, a lot more money that that ran you know, within a couple of weeks of this. And I sat down to watch five minutes of it and wound up watching the whole first episode, initially actually quite charmed by it. And then about a quarter of the way through sort of horrified, but unable to turn it off. Had it been the Brady Bunch half hour, I actually think it would have done much better. It, it wears out its welcome and then just keeps going. Yeah. But I also like just, ke- I, I also kept going. Like, I don't know what power it held over me. I watched the whole, the whole episode just transfixed and they do a bunch of songs that will also come up on the Muppet show. Like in the second episode, they do razzle dazzle, which was in the Joel gray episode. They do send in the clowns, which is in the Judy Collins episode. So you can really see like a one-to-one comparison of how different variety shows treat these songs. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that when we talk about songs. <laughs> yeah, we later are. Today. But I weirdly do recommend sort of at least glancing at it. If you're interested in, in this era, which I assume you are if you're listening to us. So anyway, other things you might want to know about Florence Henderson. (laughs) She was actually discovered by Richard Rogers, who was looking for replacements in the original company of Oklahoma. She was cast as Lori, and she did the tour, and then eventually did it on Broadway as well. And she did a number of other Roger and Hammerstein shows. She did South Pacific at Lincoln Center. She did the first national tour of Sound of Music. She also did a studio recording of Carousel. Uh, So before the Brady Bunch, that's kind of what she was best known for. Uh, her biggest Broadway role, her biggest hit, was as the title character in Fanny, where she introduced the song Be Kind to Your Parents. Be kind to your parents, though they don't deserve it. Remember the grown-ups, a difficult stage of life. They're apt to be nervous and overexcited. Confused from their daily storm and strife Just keep in mind Though it sounds hard, I know Most parents once were children long ago Incredible You're trying to picture a show tune for the actress who would become the mother of the Brady Bunch. This is the song that you would conjure. It's charming. It's cute. It's cheesy. It's lovely. I learned in researching this episode that she was the first woman ever to guest host The Tonight Show during the interregnum between when Jack Parr left before Johnny Carson started. And she was also a Today Girl on The Today Show, which is the same spot that Barbara Walters got her start in. And I suspect that's where she first encountered the Muppets, because they were frequent guests on The Today Show in that era. Uh, She also did an episode of The Mike Douglas Show with the Muppets prior to being a guest on The Muppet Show. And we'll have some clips from that in the show notes, too. The Brady Bunch ran for five seasons from 1969 to 1974, and that really cemented her in the firmament of icons of pop culture. Uh, And she would return to the role of Carol Brady, not just the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, but also in The Brady Girls Get Married, which was a TV movie that became The Brady Brides, which was a sequel show. And then in the 80s, there was a show called The Brady's, which was colloquially known as Brady something because it was a one-hour dramedy. And then you know, she would uh, show up Basically, whenever there was an opportunity to do some kind of Brady Bunch adjacent reality show, uh, probably most famously, she was on Dancing with the Stars near the end of her life. She was the spokesman for Wesson Oil from 1974 all the way to 1996. 
Like Jim Neighbors, she also had a regular gig at the Indy 500, performing God Bless America for a number of years starting in the mid-90s. She did the variety show circuit. She did the game show circuit. She was one of the frequent Hollywood squares in the original version of that show. And she stayed on television pretty much for her entire life. Uh, Towards the end of her life, there was a cable channel called Retirement Living TV, where she had a few different shows. Uh, She had a, a talk show that went through a different a couple different iterations, and then she had a cooking show. She passed away in 2016 at the age of 82, and you know she really left her mark. We should mention the podcast crossover synergy between this and David, you being on the Caroline podcast. Yes, the episode of Caroline and the podcast that I got to sit in on was the episode where Florence Henderson was a guest star on Caroline in the City. That's oh. true. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, too. You should go listen to it. We'll also link to the episode that Adam was on, even though Florence Henderson wasn't on that one. Yeah, no, I feel like I got a, I got a bum deal. Uh, we assigned them very randomly, and it just kidding. lined up weird. Whatever. I'm kidding. I was really surprised to discover that the Brady Bunch was only on the air for five seasons, even sort of taking into account how many more episodes of TV there were back then, like per season, because it was just on forever. Like we, we keep, this keeps coming up with, you know, like the monoculture and how differently fame worked, but like the Brady Bunch was always on. It was just in syndication forever. Like not even the sequels, just the actual original show. It was an after school show for me. Yeah. It was one of those shows that I watched as a, as a kid and, and right. And we, we all did like, she just was always there. And, and I remember those Western commercials too, right. It's just so interesting. Like compared to someone like Ruth Buzzy or Jim neighbors who I was like sort of aware of, like I fully knew the Brady bunch. I would still watch the Brady bunch. Now, if it popped up, I would just like, you know, land on it and it's watch on it. Hulu and Paramount plus. Yeah. And it's on like, it's on, What's that weird channel? Me TV. Me TV. Yeah. I knew Christy would know. I was like, that's <laughs> her favorite channel. Why would you call it that weird channel? It's so rude. It's like hitting someone's baby. <laughs> Both things can be true. <laughs> I have the complete Brady Bunch box set on DVD. So when we're allowed in the same space again, you're also always welcome to come watch some Brady Bunch. Delightful. And the fact that kids now are still familiar with Brady Bunch layout um, of Zoom means that even yeah. people in 20 years will still remember what the Brady Bunch is, or at least uh, have in mind that iconic grid. Uh, related question, do you think that they tried to give her the same square in Hollywood Squares that she occupied in the theme song of the Brady Bunch? Because that's just where people would look for her. Oh, I don't know. We're going to have to go find some screenshots. Yeah. Yeah. And there was an HGTV show just last year about recreating the house it was delightful i highly recommend it if anyone's even a little brady curious i disagree but the point is they're still in the culture (laughs) so enough about the brady punch can i say that i forgot how much i love the opening song to the muppet show it's like one of the best opening songs ever it's so much fun and a perfect segue amy what did you think of this episode of of the muppet show have you been watching uh on disney plus or did you jump right into this one no i jumped right into this one for some reason i have this really strong memory several years ago i was at a concert and the the singer was saying she had just been watching a bunch of the muppet show and she thought the 70s were very different from today because like the hottest stars of the time would just go like flail around and look really silly and like give themselves a hundred percent of this. And she's like, I cannot imagine the hottest stars of like right now doing this in the same way. And that is kind of the thought I've had. I was like, this is so of its time. And you just, like you said, seeing it out of context, because I kind of forgot what a variety show world we lived in then. And by we, I don't mean myself because I had not quite been born. It is really jarring <laughs> when I think about that being on primetime television. It's just, it's so strange to me compared to anything on now, but also I love it. I love that it's super weird. I love that it's just, it feels like, I don't know, like people left alone to make whatever they want and it's this, and that feels really exciting to me. Christy, how about you? Florence Henderson is playful. She's clearly having the time of her life, but they're also like, they're writing to her skill set. I mean, it, it's, I think it's a pretty great episode. It's got a legit perfect musical number, which we'll get to. It's got some really funny quick bits and i mean it's also got one incredibly weird thing that we'll also get to uh but overall i think this episode is one of the best ones we've seen so far 
a friend of mine uh, has been watching, I think, either for the first time or or he doesn't remember. And occasionally I get texts from him such as, I think Florence Henderson did not understand what show she booked. I should I should actually screenshot his real-time reaction to Pachalafica, but that's a different episode. I I don't agree. I suspect that that text came during the um, the weird number that we're going to talk about in a minute. I'm, I'm more in line with, with you guys. I think she was pretty charming. More to the point, um, I'm on record, I think I've said on this podcast, I've definitely said on other podcasts, that I love a Muppet show with a lot of backstage stuff um, when it's good, which, you know, it isn't always Ruth Buzzy. But there's a lot of Kermit and Piggy in this, and it's funny. And, you know, I really like the show within the show, or the not the show within the show, the show about the making of the show. And there's a ton of that here, and the characters are really starting to develop. And um, that's kind of what I, what I came for. And this is, you know, seven episodes in, we're starting to really get that. So I really enjoyed that element of this episode, separate from Florence Henderson, though I also found her mostly charming. Michal, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you and disagree with your friend. I have very warm feelings about this episode and about Florence Henderson and what she brings to this episode. I think uh, she makes herself right at home in the Muppet theater. And yes, she is very sincere and wholesome, but she also seems to really genuinely love being with the Muppets. I love how she just keeps touching with them. Like she wants to cuddle them and it's very sweet. I will say that as with many female guests, and we'll get into this when we talk about the backstage plot, a lot of what the Muppets talk about when they are with her is how attracted they are to her, which you would think wouldn't work because this is Carol Brady. But she's so in on it and she's so sincere that she manages to rise above what they're trying to do and she kind of makes the flirting her own. It's not sappy and it's not overly sexualized. It's just very sweet. Also... I want to give uh, props to whomever dressed her because she looks incredible in everything they put her in. I'm very into every outfit she wears, even the butterfly. Actually, I mean, for me, especially the butterfly, we'll get to it. It's like kind of my only real note on that number. David. I, I think I like this episode less than everyone else. Perhaps because I really didn't care for the butterfly number and because it comes so early in the show that kind of colored me against the rest of it. Cause I really do like a lot of the other bits of it. But the backstage plot, on the one hand, feels like the first time we get like the full flower of the Kermit-Piggy relationship, but on the other hand, felt a little bit repetitive. So, uh, meaning that every time we went back to backstage, it felt like it was the same joke and there wasn't any advancement to the story. So, uh, I, I was a little a little mixed on this episode, uh, but I'm glad that y'all liked it better than I did. It is a, a, an episode that is light on music, and the first music we get is super weird, which is a great segue. Oh, Christy, please explain Elusive Butterfly to me. Okay, so... Let's talk about a really, really weird number. We have three songs in uh, this particular episode. The the very first one is a song called Elusive Butterfly. And if you think that sounds like it's going to be poetic and arcane, you are correct. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be concerned. It will not harm you. It's only me pursuing something I'm not sure of Across my dream with nets of wonder I chase the bright elusive butterfly of love Sure, yeah. (laughs) I I am concerned, Miss Henderson. Yeah, it is in fact concerning. Every time she says don't be concerned. (laughs) That's the quickest way to concern me. (laughs) Nets of wonder. (laughs) So the setup for this particular number in the show is, I mean, in my notes, I said, this is barely Muppets. It's Florence Henderson in this butterfly looking moo-moo romping in a, an all white forest. And occasionally a Muppet butterfly will appear, but like not even close up. So it, it, it's very, it's very, very, very strange. Well, and not even sharing physical space with her. It's like superimposed, right? Yeah. It's really weird. 
The DVD pop-ups have once again apologized to us, and I quote, numbers such as this, which don't feature many Muppets, would eventually become a rarity. <laughs> Thank you, Muppet <laughs> Morsels. <laughs> So yeah, so this song, I I think some helpful context is that it was written by a 23-year-old, a guy named Bob Lind, who put it out as a single that inexplicably went to number five in 1966. And it's been covered by many, many, many people. Dolly Parton, Aretha, Cher. And I just want to know, have you guys heard this song before outside of this context? No. I think of it as a Muppet Show song. No, No. and I have no memory of hearing it before this week. I mean, I'm sure I must have seen this episode before, but it, it left me. Yeah. It I, felt like a fake song. Like, I was like, is this a fake s-? No, I mean, I get that it's not a fake song. It's a song. But I was like, they made this up just for now, and they didn't spend any time on it, because I was so... I guess I was concerned. Yeah. Sorry, Florence. So the guy who who wrote it and put out the original version, uh, his name is Bob Lind. He's still around. He's a very fun Google rabbit hole, I discovered. <laughs> Um, I, I like to go to songmeetings.com and look up particularly impenetrable songs to see what people have to say about them. <laughs> Ooh, does anybody know what Nets of Wonder means then? Well, to catch the butterflies of love. There oh. wasn't anything that I found particularly illuminating, but I did find this comment, which was the very first comment left on it. And it was left by a user named Skim the Fat. So I, I like to think <laughs> that it's Ruth Buzzy from last week's episode. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Skim the Fat wrote, Oh my God, no comments. What is wrong with you people? This is one of the most beautiful songs to come out in <gasps> this generation. Love it. It's not wow. where I thought that was going. <laughs> nope, me either. It was a surprise. Yeah, Bob Lind is still around. And the before times, he was still occasionally touring. He also apparently writes novels and plays. Several of his plays have been produced in South Florida. Good for him. Uh, <laughs> and on, on his official website, which is boblind.com, uh, there's this description, which I just have to read to you. Since his 1966 mega hit, Elusive Butterfly, helped revolutionize American music, Bob's artistry <laughs> has continued to improve and evolve. Today, 50 years into his impressive career, his songs have been covered by more than 200 quality artists. He's writing and singing better than ever, and he's playing his fantastic music all over the United States and Europe. So he is his very own Muppet Morsels, oh boy. assuring us that he will improve. Sure is. We do have a clip of Mr. Lind. Don't be concerned. It will not harm you. It's only me pursuing something I'm not sure of. Across my dreams, with nets of wonder, I chase the bright, elusive butterfly of love. I mean, I do like his tempo and arrangement better. I'm not going to lie. I do too. I'm like, I kind of like that. Because I was so perplexed by this song, I immediately fired up Spotify to see where it came from and who else might have done it. And the Dolly Parton version, which is from her like late 70s, early 80s pop moment, it feels a little bit more like a like a pop song. And I think that does it a lot of favors. Yeah, I mean, I at least appreciate that the Muppets were trying to interpret what does chasing the old butterfly of love mean? Is it a euphemism for slowly turning into a butterfly or you know, for disappearing in some ethereal, I don't know. They were trying to explain to us what's happening to Florence Sanderson. I have some ideas. We'll talk about them later. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's, there'll be a GIF in the show notes if you want to see her possibly turn into a mass of butterflies. And um, her dress, which frankly is quarantine goals. It's really <laughs> the one thing I liked. It looks very comfy. Very comfy. Yeah. Yeah. If only we all had a silk poncho to lie around in. Right. All right. So this episode also has a UK spot and it is extremely British. When I was a puppy, I used to enjoy reading about Winnie the Pooh. He's a bear, like Fozzie Bear, but, well, not very much like Fozzie Bear. This is a song he would sing when somebody would say something he didn't quite understand. He could have said, what? Or I beg your pardon? But Pooh would instead sing this song, which he made up for singing when his brain felt fluffy. (laughs) Coddleston, Coddleston, Coddleston pie. A fly can't bird, but a bird can fly. Ask me a riddle, and I reply. 
Coddleston, Coddleston, Coddleston Pine. This was the moment where I was like, I'm like, Rolf, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) I would never sing that song. Not even when your brain feels fluffy? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just not my reaction. It's another strange one. Maybe not quite as strange as Elusive Butterfly, but definitely an an oddity. It's the, the text doesn't indeed come from Winnie the Pooh. And this isn't the first musical setting of it that was done. I found one that was frankly really fucking terrible from 1951 on YouTube by Alec Wilder. But this one uh, has music by William S. Haney and the copyright was registered in 1966. And that's the only thing that I could really find about it. I don't know how it found its way to the Muppet show because the Muppet show seems to be the most official version of it that exists. And the only sort of clue that I maybe found was the only information that I could find about William S. Haney, which was in his obituary. It said, William S. Haney, 85, of Gulfport, died Sunday, May 4th, 2003, in Gulfport. Mr. Haney, a native Mississippian, was a writer, composer, and editor for most of his professional life. He was vice president of Prentice Hall Publishing Company, followed by 20 years with the publishing division of the Columbia Broadcasting System in New York City. And then after his retirement, he made his permanent home in Gulfport, Mississippi. So I guess it was something that CBS had. I, I mean, I, I searched for like three hours and uh, couldn't find anything. Maybe Bill and Jim got to know each other at some kind of like Mississippians in New York City broadcasting meetup. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a Mississippian bar that they all go to to watch the football? Well, I don't know what sports teams Mississippians would be loyal to. Yeah, the the CBS and the Mississippi were the only connections that really pinged for me. I did learn a weird uh, trivia tidbit about William S. Haney, which is that his granddaughter is married to Emeril Lagasse. (laughs) (laughs) Bam. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to think about that. This was also, we've mentioned the memorial for Jim Dunn at St. John the Divine, and there are a bunch of clips from that on YouTube, and Frank Oz did it as Fozzie, and it's worth looking up. I highly recommend looking up the clips from the memorial in general, because getting to see the performers do the songs with the voices without the puppets is really moving and interesting. Be be well stocked of Kleenex if you're going to watch any of that. For sure. The last musical number in this episode, in my estimation, is perfect. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. Imagine how the world so very fine, so happy together. I can see me loving nobody but you. So this is Happy Together, which was the number one hit for the Turtles in 1967. It topped the charts for three weeks, and it knocked Penny Lane out of the top spot. It was written by Gary Bonner and Alan Gordon, and it was rejected a dozen times before the Turtles recorded it, which I think is unfathomable. The song is a banger. (laughs) It's a perfect pop song. It's a perfect song. There are at least 12 people in the 60s who need a stern talking to. Um, uh, So this song... Uh, is also on the the BMI list that we've referenced before of the that was put out at the end of the 20th century that was the the t- most played songs on radio and TV it was number 44 and I buy that because it was in a lot of commercials it uh has been in a lot of movies um and there are actually several covers of it that have charted since then including Tony Orlando and Don Uh, The Nylons, Hugo Montenegro, and a truly, truly, truly bonkers Captain and Tennille cover. (laughs) I think you mean spectacular. I am obsessed. Yeah. I I, today was the first time I've ever seen it, and I am fully obsessed with this Captain and Tennille video. It will definitely be in the show notes. 10 spandexes out of 10 spandexes. Their version is subtitled A Disco Fantasia, and boy, (laughs) is it ever. Like, I don't actually, I don't mean ironically obsessed. Like, I think it's legitimately great and also ironic. Like, it's it's everything. Please go watch it. Yeah, it's both. I, yeah. I want to analyze the choreography, but I don't. I just want to let it be a bunch of 
butts and white spandex. Imagine me and you, I do. I think about you day and night. It's only right to think about the one you love and hold him tight. So happy together. This whole episode feels a little budge to me. I wonder if... I mean, I guess actually not the whole episode, just the Florence Anderson parts, right? But like, I wonder if there was something going on, right? Because there's only three songs, only two in the US. And, you know, the butterfly is super weird and kind of on a bare stage with no Muppets. And now this number, while super charming and delightful, there is literally no set. And they're all stock Muppets. They're all frackles, um, including Droop. Hello, Droop. I'm mad he doesn't get a solo, but he is adorable. And it works, right? Because the song is great and it's staged really cutely and like the little monsters with their little accents, like it's, I'm not, I'm not at all denigrating it, but I just found it interesting that it seemed like zero dollars were spent on the Florence Henderson parts of this show. I found this particular number really visually pleasing uh, because of how color coordinated the frackles that they chose were. Mm -hmm. They did that also in try to remember with Sandy Duncan, it, it, the, the, the set had blue flowers and it seemed like blue and green primarily Muppet showed up for that. And this was all blue green. And I think there was one purple, but they all kind of seemed within the same spectrum. And yeah, I agree. I thought it looked gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous is a weird <laughs> word to use, but it did. No, but it's true. I mean, they're, you know, this is the show that can actually spend no money because they have such a great, stock of characters and, and puppets and you know they look amazing yeah. so like again i don't i don't think it's a bad thing necessarily but i i just noticed it here especially because they used all the money on those butterfly overlays right well they used it on white spray paint to spray a bunch of fake flowers and fake trees <laughs> for the butterfly number but yeah do you need a set when you have a bunch of vibrant blue and green muppets and florence henderson has this great like lavender silk shirt that offsets them perfectly and they all just crowd around her in this lovely tight shot. I just, I smile just thinking about this. Like I, I think of this clip as just Muppet perfection. As someone who like is not a, like I'm not like anti Muppet. I've just never been a Muppets person. This scene, this part was like, I was like, this is why people love this. This is perfect. I, it made me so happy. Michal, I also thought of you when you were complaining that they didn't give Ruth Buzzy a, a key for her song that, suited her i feel, felt like they could not have found a better key for this song for florence henderson right she's using her mix she's using her head she's she's all over this key and all over the song and it's perfect and it's wonderful and i love it yeah and it's actually great for the muppet performers too who are not necessarily the best singers but it suits all of them and their weird frackle voices too except droop he's not in it well it's like a sing-along song like everyone sounds good chiming in on it it's also a great song for monsters because there's something about Chrissy, you, you speak music better than I do, but like there's something about like the mood of this song that's like a little, or at least when I was a kid was a little creepy to me. And yeah, so hearing, totally. seeing monsters do it, like it, it makes sense. Like it, and I think that seeing it on the Muppet show first kind of it cemented in my head is like a little bit of a creepy song, even though it's actually a song about being happy together. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I never thought about that. It's imagine me and you, I do, I think about you every night. But it's like a stalker like, kind it's of song. Decided, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, I'm so going to go listen to that Captain Snow it. version again and think about <laughs> how it's a stalker song. No, it's funny that you say that, though, because I, I, I thought, oh, my God, this is the nerdiest note that I've taken thus far. Oh, that can't be true. Show. <laughs> Which is, I, I, I love them up at singing a Pickerty third. But, <laughs> like... <laughs> But that's the thing that has always made this song uh, less sinister to me is that, that it does end on a ha literally happy note. Yeah. Well, um, that's what's so satisfying about it is that it switches modes to feel yeah. even happier. Yeah. And that moment where it's like, you know, sh she sings the last word and the frackles all sort of like chord rises to join her. Oh, it's so satisfying. <laughs> Everything about it. it it just makes me happy. And they snuggle up to her face and she's giggling. It's so sweet. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Ready! Three, two, one! Fire! It is shout out of a cannon time. We're going to start with the bouncing Borsellino brothers who are 
not strictly canonical because they appear in pretty much just this episode, but uh, they are a troop of extremely incompetent acrobat pigs. The the biggest and burliest one, we hear somebody muttering that uh, his name is Tiny and he's allegedly 975 pounds. That's 69.64 stones. I just decided to <laughs> find out. He dramatically counts as they build this pyramid and then he, the burliest one, gets on the top. Six. That's me. Yeah, when Kermit introduces them, he makes a little uh, very of its time joke about how these are a set of brothers and the doctor wasn't even sure that they were boys uh, because of their incessant bouncing. But I'm just going to say they know that Tiny, the 975 pound one, is going to climb on last. And then they yell at him for it instead of doing any planning or collaborating or cooperating. Of course, they're boys. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen Bring It On. I, I I know you don't put the heaviest cheerleader on the top of the pyramid yeah <laughs> basic physics Boy, spoiler alert does is that more like i get that it's more likely to make you fall but it's not more likely to make the floor give out like that is just you add the weight together it's it is right it is, thank right? you amy for bringing that up because you know we we are the sort of people who bring logic and reality to a muppet show podcast because you know where there is already yeah. a hole in the floor because there so are yeah so they standing then under the puppets they crash through the floor is it because they fell or is it because of the weight? It makes it seem like it's because of the way the weight was distributed, but I just don't think that's how weight works. Right. It is in-game physics of the Muppet show. So in theory, depending on how the floor is built, right? Like having the weight distributed across the stage is different than having it all concentrated in one space in the stage. So that that could cause it to give way. And also like the the jumping that would be necessary to like get them up onto the top of the pyramid or the climbing or whatever like you know could cause the the wood to to move and then loosen and then break whatever like that part didn't bother me here's what bothers me (laughs) they're puppets there is nothing impressive about puppets doing a puppet pyramid the whole point of human pyramids being impressive is because it's difficult for humans to balance themselves that way. This is just a bunch of guys lifting up their arms higher. <laughs> it's true. And you know, that, that clip was, so we started that clip at five out of six and, and each one is that long with that much, with yes. that much grunting. Right. So if you have not watched the episode, like the sketch is five times longer than what we just played for you. Yeah, and that's I, all it is. It's, this is the opening sketch. Followed by the butterfly number. <laughs> so you see why I came away thinking that this episode wasn't great? <laughs> mm-hmm. I do. I get it now. It ends so strong, right? So I'm, I I left feeling really good about it. But yeah, no, it does not start well. And as someone pretty new to the Muppets, I mean, I feel weird saying new to them. I'm not. But also to this, I was like, oh, this is what have, what have I gotten myself into? And then immediately I feel it got much more charming. Brought down the house. Well, at least the stage. (laughs) So now that we have a hole in stage, uh, Kermit asks George to clean up after the pigs. George, Hmm. uh, will you go out there and clean up after the pigs, please? I am sick and tired of cleaning up after them lousy pigs. Well, George, you can always quit. What? And get out of show business? George, will you move the body? All right, I'll move the body. When George looks into the camera and says, what, get out of showbiz? Like that, I felt that in my soul. <laughs> as someone who... Oh my God, yes. Right, like as someone who works in the like administrative side of showbiz, like who is like, you know, about as far away from the art making as you can get and still plausibly be in the business. Uh, I, I like very much relate to that, like... Like, this is, yes, this is my job, and I work in an office. Well, typically, not this year. Um, and, uh, and and it doesn't necessarily look like showbiz, but also, like, I feel like I'm a part of it, and that's so important, so special, and I wouldn't leave it. Uh, and, like, there's just something, there was, like, the way that he encapsulated that with his, like, his voice and his look. It just, uh, oh, God, it was like a little truth bomb in the middle of the Muppet Show for me. 
And that's a classic like vaudeville joke too. Like, right, that's right. A, that is an old, old joke. Yeah, it reson- it's an old joke, but it still resonates with anybody who has accepted an administrative job in a creative industry. So after we've got uh, Kermit asking George to move the body, uh, supposedly George's body, but let's think about that for a second. We've got the talking houses. What is it, George's body, or is it one of the Barcelona brothers' bodies? I assume George's. Yeah, in context, it seems like George's body. However, okay, we've got the talking houses. My brother has ghosts in his attic. Sounds scary. Yeah, he's on the 10 most haunted list. (laughs) Oh, the talking houses. Oh, the talking houses. And then right after that, we get right to Elusive Butterfly, where Florence Henderson is possibly becoming a butterfly, possibly becoming a group of butterflies in a trench coat, or possibly just disappearing right there on the stage of the Muppet Theater, uh, followed immediately by that audience shot where there's one dead Muppet in the center who's not moving. So what I'm saying oh, here... More than one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but there's I, one that your eye just... Yeah, there's one, yeah, there's one right now. Yeah. My eye just goes to the one while the rest of them are moving. <laughs> so allegedly, uh, Florence Henderson lived until the year 2016, but... What if, I could just pause it here for a second, that while filming the butterfly bit, she just up and disappeared, and then George either maybe had to move the body, or perhaps she had transformed into a butterfly, or perhaps she became a ghost in the attic of the talking houses, or maybe a whole horde of butterflies, or that dead Muppet in the center of the audience. Wait, I think she's dead before the Muppet, before the butterflies, because like perhaps she was under the stage when the, the stage collapsed. And then that's why during the butterfly number, she sort of fades in and out of visibility. She's well, already she's a ghost. Following the dead, she's following the butterfly. Uh, yeah. She's making some kind of transition during that number. But one last possibility. Uh, later this season in the Valerie Harper episode, we will meet an enormous angry butterfly who has a net the size of Rolf that Rolf will be chased by when he tries to read a poem about a butterfly. That does seem like something that would happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> you be chased by the ghost of Florence Henderson. I think this is what they call a running gag. <laughs> <laughs> so these are just some theories. It doesn't explain another 40 years of footage of Florence Henderson continuing to perform, but it might explain what's happening in Elusive Butterfly. Just some options. All right. All right. So now we can talk about the actual backstage plot, which is about the Kermit and Peggy relationship or... If there is indeed a Kermit and Piggy relationship, Piggy definitely believes that there is. She believes them to have a steamy and mutual love affair, and Kermit disagrees. Speaking of stalkers. You have such a masculine yell. Uh, yeah. Is, is there anything at all, anything I could do for you, my dear? Uh, no. Because I want to make you happy. Uh, good. When you're happy, the pig is happy. Uh, wonderful. Oh, my love, my life. Ah! <laughs> Forgive me for being so forward, but I'm a liberated pig. Must be my animal musk. Where is their HR department? I mean... I mean, I think the HR is Kermit. That is full-on assault, right? The pig noises in there are a thing I have never noticed before. It was disturbing. Yeah, I think the oinking must have gone away later. Yeah, and this is an episode where there are multiple times where I would love to see behind-the-scenes footage, because Kermit's noises during that are also amazing. And I would just love to be able to see the puppeteers during this, to see Jim and Frank. I, I bet it's hilarious. The actual scene, though, is a little bit upsetting. This is the point where I wrote down in my notebook, oh, Kermit's real dick in this episode. Can you blame him? Well, I was going to say, like, yes, but also, I mean, everyone's on very bad behavior, except Florence Henderson. But he's the boss. You know, like, he is so dismissive of everyone. He's so rude to the Borsalino brothers when they get (laughs) off stage. He's so rude to Piggy. Well, they did break the stage. Sure, but they're also, like, I don't know. There are other things to say besides real disappointing guys. (laughs) Yeah. Like, is he concerned about, are they okay? (laughs) I mean, even just from a liability issue, like from a liability standpoint, you think he would want to know, is anyone hurt? That's why Florence needs to sing, don't be concerned. Everybody's okay. The way that he's so not even giving Piggy like the least bit of attention. He's the, the, the curtness in his voice, just like, this is early on in 
our observation of their relationship. So we don't know that this has been going on for a long time or not. So it seems like it's the first time that she's really come on to him this way. And like to not even look at her, ugh, I don't know. I just, he, ugh, that's that's what I have to say. Ugh, that's my official comment. <laughs> Kermit strikes me as the, the sort of person who sh- should only be in a creative position, but out of necessity is in an admin position and shouldn't be because he's extremely flappable. It's not really clear to me what he does creatively either, though, frankly. Well, he hosts. He sings and dances and makes people happy. Yeah, sure. But like he doesn't. He shouldn't really be directing, right? He's like, he should be hosting and performing. He he shouldn't be wearing as many hats as he wears, especially while the show is going on. Right. And it's not entirely clear who books the acts on The Muppet Show, but you get the sense that Kermit has some responsibility for it, right? There is a, there's a moment in this episode, actually, that we didn't clip where he's actually muttering to himself. He's like looking at, at something on the desk and he's muttering to himself, oh, we didn't have time for Gonzo this episode. That's too bad. This week, that's too bad. Right. So like, it does seem like he is responsible for, <laughs> for, for the running order. Right. Like there's something, you know, he's in charge of something there. So I, I imagine he's the booker, but who knows? He's not good at any of it. We talked about that last week. Nor as, is he good at setting boundaries with Piggy. And it, I, I get the feeling that he's tried everything that he can think of. And I, I feel for Piggy and I feel for Kermit. It doesn't excuse Kermit being a dick and it doesn't excuse Piggy uh, hearing his rejection as consent. Yeah. And it is, you know, uh, I mean, a couple of things are true. One is that television worked differently at the time in terms of how people watched it and retained it. And that we are coming at this with, you know, 45 years of this. But like this is actually coming out of nowhere, right? Like in 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 any order of the show, this is the beginning of this. I think maybe in the air order, there was a, it started a little bit earlier that we haven't gotten to yet. But like it's pretty much this is coming out of nowhere, and it's a lot for this to be. Which episode had the the wind up television host Ruth Rezzy? Ruth Rezzy, right? And I do think that aired yeah. first. This is the ninth aired. So yeah, that aired. That would have aired before this by a week or two. So that that had the beginnings of this, but certainly not. Right. So it's possible that the wind-up host led her on, which is why she thinks this. Hmm. If we want to try to impose some continuity on it. But it's still, it's a stretch. I mean, regardless of how it started, it is tragic to know that this is the dynamic that they're going to be trapped in for decades. Outside of the world of the movies, where they have more of an actual romance. but In which he she tricks him into marriage. Against well, that's well. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> anyway, Kermit does uh, get nicer over the years. He does. He does. Yeah, and he, he gets not. nicer. The the movie version of Kermit is softer and more palatable. Somewhat but, less easily frustrated. Yeah. Well, when he gets frustrated in the movies, he's more frustrated with himself and less frustrated at everyone else, except for his one big breakdown about his take Manhattan. Yeah, but there is less dismissiveness of everyone else. It's true. Speaking of flirting, we have a talk spot in this episode. Can I give you a little tip? Oh, no, there's no need for that. I'm well paid. (laughs) I mean about men. Oh, my dear, I'm sure you know about men. But, uh, honey, make one move toward that frog's bod. (laughs) Piggy, Kermit and I are old friends. Honest. You mean... There's nothing, uh... No, we're just... I mean, yeah, it's just platonic, really. Oh! Oh! Oh, thank you so much! Thank you! Oh, I love to find my love! Oh! 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 She's crazy. <laughs> she going? <laughs> yes. She's off to find her love. I told you I never would touch you! I don't know. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So I, we we cut the we didn't we didn't cut the beginning of it, but this again opens with Kermit flirting with uh, a female guest, a uh, human. But I like that here; it's a setup for the piggy stuff. However, I feel about the piggy stuff overall. At least it the Kermit and Florence stuff is in service of the backstage plot, and not it doesn't so it doesn't feel as icky to me. And then I really like that scene with Florence and Piggy. I don't love the casual use of the word crazy, but then like she really is. I actually don't know a better word for it. And she's really freaking violent. So I don't know. Kind of works. Yeah. Piggy beating up Muppets uh, 
I have mixed feelings about that. Something about Piggy beating up the guest star is really funny. <laughs> I don't know, when she bit Florence, that, that felt like it crossed the line to me. It's a lot. It's a lot. And you can hear Florence in the the very tail end of that clip just being like, Piggy, Piggy, stop it. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, I'm talking about the Muppets universe. I'm not talking about our human universe. But I'm like, what female guest star would want to go on that show knowing you were going to get attacked? Well, she had her own show to plug, you know? <laughs> yeah. Attacked for talking to the host, which seems like part of the job. And then we we clipped, uh, there's actually three of these backstage scenes. We clipped one of them, um, which, according to the DVDs, is the first uh, time Piggy says moi to refer to herself. <clears throat> well, Romeo, how are you and Miss Henderson getting along? Hmm? Uh, Piggy, jealousy doesn't become you. Jealous? Moi? <laughs> just to laugh. <laughs> I'm just glad that other women find my frog attractive. Uh, your frog, uh, Piggy, uh, said the frog, trying to couch his next words in the gentlest of terms. <laughs> I am not your frog! <laughs> Methinks that oath but that's too much. What? Shakespeare. Sounds more like bacon than my ham. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't just go for one karate chop. She really finishes them off. No, it's, it's, and this happens multiple times in this episode. It's like a couple chops and then a jump. <laughs> like she knocks them down and then jumps on top of them a couple times. It is incredibly violent. We've got an at the dance sketch. There are a couple of uh, typical Muppet jokes. The joke is, hey, you're dancing with a monster who is not necessarily attractive, or hey, you're dancing with a dog. I know you guys had some favorite bits in here. There was a, George and Mildred bit. I have a thing to say about Mildred, but it's related to something else that happens during this, which is our favorite, the loud lady, <laughs> uh, makes an announcement. Can we take this moment to announce our engagement? Eh, why not? Oh, we're engaged! <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> so <laughs> get emotional about how much I love the loud lady. So the loud lady is great, but Mildred, while this is going on, is literally vibrating with jealousy. <laughs> and it just made me think about that moment in the Muppet Valentine's show where Mildred is talking to Mia Farrow about how some girls have all the luck in getting engaged and married and having kids. This is a thing for her. And I found it very <laughs> That's funny. amazing. I didn't catch that. Oh, poor Mildred. I was weirdly delighted by these rats and a very of its time phrasing in the beginning of this joke, but, uh, you know, they're rats. I think we ought to move out of the ghetto and find ourselves a nice little dump in the suburbs. <laughs> I love you like the plague. I do not care for plague jokes in 2021. Just putting that on the record. Nope. No, that's. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there were so many parts of that that I was like, oh, not now. It's fair. I still prefer it to a bunch of rats running a restaurant. Apparently, this is this is my episode to shit on. It was really cute. Yeah. I'll give you that. But it was, I just felt like there were so many things that needed an asterisk. No, yeah. no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but Muppets yeah. dancing together, or Muppet rats dancing together, is funnier than them swimming in coffee. It, exactly, yeah. Apparently this is my episode to shit on the Muppets tape Manhattan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you all love it. <laughs> oh, that first Muppet also sounded really gay to me, and I feel like if this were made today, the second one would not have had a female voice, though obviously that was a male puppeteer. I don't know. I also thought Statler and Waldorf, for some reason, read gayer than usual this episode. Like, Oh my god, so again, it's been a while for me. And I was like, were they always gay? I mean, so kind of. <laughs> but there was something about like the way that they were like that their arms were moving and they were touching each other and and yes, I made gifts, don't worry. Um <laughs> like Statler's wrists seemed especially limp, and I don't think they were doing it on purpose, or else it might have been offensive, but I, I think it just happened and it just like triggered something in me that I found very funny. I had the exact same reaction. And again, it was 
it was strange for me because I'm not. I haven't watched all the other episodes. And so I was like, oh, I just remembered this wrong. They are a gay couple. That is nice. I think it's very easy to put that read onto them. But I I, I don't know. It, it got me extra today. Maybe I'm just missing theater extra hard and really want to be in that box. But Well, we have a, a panel discussion that seems to be orchestrated solely to get Miss Piggy riled up again and to get the bouncing Borsalino brothers on her side by uh, asking whether Shakespeare was, in fact, bacon. I'm tired of these continual pig slurs. Oh. You know, we pigs have feelings, too. Oh, no, 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 no. See, I meant Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon and his bacon chickens. Oh, fuck you, bacon. Who cares? It's all in bad taste. Oh, no, bacon tastes real good. I had some this morning. Really made a pig of myself. <laughs> Uh, Piggy, please, Piggy, we don't have time for that now. Yeah, besides, you're always hogging at time. Get it? Hogging? I love how the lines they give Florence Anderson here are of somebody who is just genuinely happy to be there and is not reading the room at all. There is all of this underlying tension. Oh, I thought they made her, like, super aggressive towards Piggy. Uh-huh, I agree. <laughs> And Florence is playing herself. She's introduced as Florence Henderson, which so far in the in the panel sketch has not been the case. They've they've been playing characters, um, and this is happening after Piggy has attacked her. So I thought that was a little pointed, you know, in the way that we have the of its time moments. This uh, this sketch actually felt like it could happen today. I mean, I don't know that we would we would be making fun of and um, taunting, you know, somebody involved in a movement for social justice, but. You know, we're very careful about our language, and um, you know, Piggy is is right in many ways. Not not the initial misunderstanding about Francis Bacon, but you know, then she is being quite badly disrespected, and, uh, and then we get very, five more seasons of it. Well, sure, um, <laughs> but it it felt it felt timely to me. Yeah, fair enough. So we've got a, a quick uh, blackout spot. Sweetum says he could really fall for Florence Henderson. And then he proceeds to, that's the joke. We've got uh, a Fozzie stand-up bit, and he paid a lot of money for these impressions, and he wants to see if they're good. This is funny because the whole point of the joke is that Fozzie doesn't do anything to his voice or delivery when he does these so-called impressions. All he does is recite lines. And and all the lines are wrong. All the movie, all the movie quotes are entirely incorrect. Right. <laughs> and it, it just was particularly funny to me in light of the Julia Prowse episode where they covered for Fozzie's not yet perfected voice by having him say, Oh, I'm doing my John Wayne impression where there he actually does change his voice and change his manner of speaking, even though it also does not sound like John Wayne. But at least again, if we imagine that there's any continuity to these, which we know there is not Fozzie is familiar with the concept of impressions, but uh, (laughs) is unable to do it. Do you think he's familiar with the concept of movies, but has never seen one? So trying to impersonate John Wayne just sounds like changing his voice a little bit or doing an impression just sounds like yelling lines that you think have been in movies, like yelling Judy, 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 or playing it, play it again, Sam. I mean, I feel like I know a lot of idiot straight guys who think that that's what passes for humor. Yeah, that's true. His joke during the theme song is uh, extremely of its time. Prices are so high. Yesterday I bought a pound of hamburger and had to have a cosigner. Hilarious inflation. Thank you, 1976. And uh, everybody keep an eye out in the show notes for the the gif of the little pose that he does after telling that very of its time joke, because he's extremely pleased with himself and it is adorable. It is one of his better jokes, not going to lie. Very similar to what we saw on the Muppet Valentine show, we see Kermit reporting from the planet Coosbane. It looks almost exactly identical, but not quite. I think we noticed some differences. I made a little list and you can tell me if you think of others or agree or disagree but in the valentine show there were some sound effects that made them sound like a steam train those are missing now we talked about how in that episode kermit's coat had like a fur lined collar now he's wearing the more traditional trench coat that we're used to seeing from sesame street uh he had a hat on valentine's show he does not have a hat here so i think kuzban has gotten warmer is the the takeaway and i also think that the puppets are a little bit different it seems like the kuzban puppets have been upgraded the running looked a little better it may also just be the difference between watching a scratchy youtube video and something that is in hd on disney plus not sure 
but also the set seemed bigger. Like they had more room for everything, but also like weirdly faker, like very, very flat. You could see the seams where the different pieces were stuck together, which I found charming, but but it stuck out to me because it, it seemed to to lean into the artifice of this sketch. Whereas in the Valentine show, we were to believe that this was Kermit on a other planet as opposed to Kermit doing a sketch about another planet. I don't know. I'm definitely spending too much time thinking about this. That's our job, though. I just love that this sketch always ends with, once again, love comes to Coosbane because they've done it several times at this point. <laughs> So the once again, I find very funny. Love does keep coming to Kuzbane, and the Kuzbanians never seem to learn that they are about to vanish and turn into tiny Kuzbanians. I don't know this bit, and I was, I don't know, traumatized the entire time thinking I was about to see something like, I just felt like the 70s were weird and sexual in a way that made me jittery sometimes. And I was like, what's going to happen? Is it going to be gross? And then that's not what happened. Now you know too much about me and my fears. (laughs) I mean, that's not an unreasonable fear, given the setup. Given the shape of their heads and the way they were running at each other, I was like, I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like this at all. And then it worked out fine. They did explode. (laughs) Well, it worked out fine in that I didn't get jittery. They did explode, but it is true that they kind of set up this Chekhov's nose Very graphic-looking something that was about to happen, and then instead, yeah... I guess I chose violence over sex, which is not really how my mind usually <laughs> you, works. You and Piggy. <laughs> yeah. I will admit, not until this conversation did I put together that one of them has a phallic nose and one of them has a yonic nose. Yep. And yep. it's not the it's, and it's not the not the they're reversed. It's they establish which one is male and which one is female, and they're they're I was like the seventies were so dirty. Yeah. Now you're thinking about it. It's true. We all are. And now we're thinking about them in white spandex. Now I'm thinking about how the Coos babies don't <laughs> seem to have secondary sexual characteristics. Like their their faces all look the same. They don't have. I know that too. I was like, are they something else? And then I was like, is that how you get Elmo? Because it kind of looked like Elmo, and I just was left with a lot to think about. So Elmo <laughs> is one of a litter and has a bunch of. <laughs> No, because we actually know what Elmo's parents look like if, if you have HBO. Well, I don't, so I made a guess. I, I'm like, I don't know this whole universe like you all do. Maybe this is how you get an Elmo. On, on HBO Max, there, Elmo has a talk show, and uh, every episode starts with his parents putting him to bed. So if you'd like to meet Elmo's parents, fire up your HBO Max. Or just the Muppet Wiki. Also that. Um, Am I the only one who has a problem with Coos Babies? Coos Babies. We, we do need to give that its due. Just, it's not okay. Is that not their official name? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> it's the grossest thing I've ever heard. Anyway, I assume that the Coos babies develop their nose and mouth at, at puberty. Mm-hmm. And then when two of them love each other very much, that's how you get more Coos babies. Well, I think that covers everything. <laughs> Once again, love comes to Muppetry. <laughs> I loved it. So what? You also loved World War II. Anyone have uh, final thoughts on this episode that we didn't get to talk about yet? We've gotten to most of my favorite lines of the week, but I, I have uh, one more from the, the closing with Fozzie and Florence Henderson. Why are you Miss Henderson? Why are you Miss Henderson? Why are you Miss Henderson? You know I am, Fozzie. The wire for you. <laughs> Do you want to explain the visual of what's going on there? Okay. <laughs> Even though you're about to ruin it for everybody. <laughs> That is my job. I was like, oh no, are we going to have to clip Mommy Dearest? But no, no, we're not going to do that to people. Yes, Fozzie comes out holding a wire hanger, hands it to Florence Henderson, and uh, she does this charming thing where she just hooks it onto his nose and it stays there. (laughs) They both are very satisfied about it and it's very cute. I I just think that scene plays differently in a post-Mommy Dearest world. Uh, But Mommy Dearest, at least the film, did not come out until 1981, so... You can't hold that against them. So we had five years to enjoy this joke before it was ruined. I also love the, like, I'm done with your shit delivery of, you know, I am. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, it's a very, it's very good. And don't worry. This is not the last of this joke that we will see on the Muppet show. Amy, are you going to watch more? Are you hooked now? I don't know. I'm not sure I'm hooked. I'm just not a variety show person. Maybe I feel, I mean, you guys know I watch a lot of really stupid things, but they all have like a 
like a plot. Like there's a, you know what I mean? Like a scripted show. Not that this isn't scripted. I'm just stepping all over myself. There's going to be so many people on the Facebook going like, this woman doesn't know anything. And you're right. I don't. I'll tell you this, the, the Muppet show changes head writers after the first season and it becomes a little more linear and a little more character focused. So it never gets really serial. Like it's, there's not like an overarching story that goes from week to week, but it does become much more about the characters and the relationships and feels a little more like a sitcom uh, starting the second season. It's not just that it's so seventies. It's just feels so strange that there's a, there's a, just a quality to it that may, it does make me want to scroll through and at least, seek out certain things. So yeah, I'll probably revisit some of it. You're going to want to watch the Liza Minnelli episode. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yes. Well, and I saw Rita Moreno's name. I was just like, no, this is going to, it's one of those things where I could tell I was like, if I scroll, it's just going to happen. Plus the episodes are what, like 20 something minutes long. It's such, I feel like compared to every single thing I watch, it's so short and it's, you know, a nice sort of palate cleanser between everything else I watch. So, so yeah, maybe I came through who knows. I'm still scared of all your fans on Facebook. Don't yell at me. I admit to being stupid. They're, they've been very nice so far, honestly. Yeah, all the we corrections we've been given have, have been very kind. Yes. Well, that's good. Honestly, like Christy and I, for Caroline and the podcast, we're always like, please give us your corrections and additions. And no one says anything. And so, except we catch our own mistakes sometimes. And so, like, it is exciting to be on something where people remember enough to have corrections and additions. I'm saving mine up until the next time I'm a guest. I have a long list. <laughs> <laughs> Should we give Amy a chance to to plug other stuff before we wrap up? Sure. You can, everyone listening, now that you know I know nothing, you can read any of my novels where you can learn more about what I do and don't know. Um, no, I have six young adult novels. My most recent one is We Used to Be Friends. It's a friendship breakup book. It's loosely inspired by the structure of the musical the last five years. And... My book before that, Summer of Jordi Perez, is a queer summer rom-com and has like zero, I shouldn't say zero sadness in it, but it's very light and fluffy if you want like a queer book that doesn't have any coming out or angst in that vein. So anyway, check one of those books out. Check one of my other books out. Visit my website, theamyspalding.com. There you have it. And where can people find you on social media? On Twitter, I'm theames, T-H-E-A-M-E-S. And on Instagram, for no good reason, I'm that Ames, which is T-H-A-T-A-M-E-S. I have decided I'm never going to correct this problem. I'm just going to live in a complicated manner. I respect that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Join us next week for our discussion of the Paul Williams episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Ryan Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Cream colored ponies and butts and white spandex. Butts and white spandex. <laughs> butts and white spandex. <laughs>